Shooting the Schmidt is back. Got a really good show planned out for you today. We're talking my Super Bowl bubble. I'm going to give you that. We're talking Tua, my guy, my 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 quarterback of my Miami Dolphins. We're going to talk about him a little bit. Talking Alabama and college football. Really excited. I'm going to give you my top 12 teams with, you know, the college football playoff rankings coming out tonight. I feel like it's pretty fitting. So that's what's lined up for you today. Cannot wait to get into it. Here we go. I forgot to mention in the intro that my lead story is actually Frank Reich officially being fired. So if you haven't heard, Jim Mersey has officially fired Frank Reich. Part of the problem is gone. But before I get into the rest of the problem and why I support the firing, I want to point out that this is the danger of working for the Indianapolis Colts. Jim Mersey can be irrational and allow his emotions to get the best of him. And that is ultimately what I believe led to Reich getting fired before the end of the year. Okay, it was Jim Mersey's decision to bench Matt Ryan and to play Sam Ellinger. Then, Jim Mersey got upset at the lack of offensive production with a new quarterback. So he fired Frank Reich, fresh off the firing of Marcus Brady, the offensive coordinator, a very well-respected offensive coordinator who will be interviewed for head coaching jobs across the league this upcoming offseason. And I guess the annoying part of that in the firing of Frank Reich is simply that we didn't even get to see if Marcus Brady and Matt Ryan were the issues before Ursay pulled the plug on Frank Reich. Oh, yeah. And before I forget, last week, literally eight days ago, Jim Ursay said, quote, I'm in a great spot with Chris and Frank. We're all re-energized with the move to Sam Ellinger. Nothing is easy, but I feel really good, end quote. He said that eight days ago. In eight days, he went from, I feel really good, to, you're fired. And as an employee, or a potential employee, when I see any boss act like that and swing so far from the left to the right in such a short amount of time, I have no desire to come and work for you. To me, like it, it shows that you are emotionally unstable and your emotions dictate the choices that you make. And that is... Not a good way to run any kind of business. And make no mistake, the Indianapolis Colts are a business. It's about making money. And part of the, and a great way to make money is to be really good. And the Colts obviously weren't that this year or haven't been that. And making these crazy swings and decisions based on emotions don't help that at all either. So let's let's recap the past several decisions Ursay has made going back to when this really started to spiral out of control. And that was last year with the loss to the Jags in Week 18 that costed the Colts a playoff spot. Despite having played well for the entire year leading up to that game, Jim Ursay decided that the Colts needed to trade Carson Wentz. And look, there's no official report saying that that, that was Ursay's call, but with as much as he talked about it and as involved as he is, and she's obviously very involved, Involved, he's the one who decided to fire Marcus Brady, Marcus Brady, and he's the one who decided to bench Matt Ryan. So he's obviously very involved. I have no doubt that Jim Ursay is the one who made the call to move Carson Wentz. Then he brings in Matt Ryan, who he benches after seven games when the Colts were 3-3-1 with an opportunity to control their own destiny and potentially make the playoffs. Now, look, I understand that Matt Ryan had been really bad, but look, this guy's a, he's, Matt Ryan is a Hall of Fame quarterback. Why are we not giving him the benefit of the doubt to, to turn things around? 
especially when your next option is a guy in Sam Ellinger, who is a sixth-round pick and shouldn't be starting any games for any team in the NFL. Okay, he's obviously a backup. You know, it'd be one thing if, you know, the Colts were kind of like the Titans and you've got Malik Willis, a guy that you took, you know, in the second round this year and a guy who you believe can really play. It's one thing if you have that guy sitting back there waiting. But nobody, nobody was was wanting Sam Ellinger to play. Like, the fans didn't care for it. No, no, Nobody did. Everybody was kind of expecting Matt Ryan. And then we make this crazy, you know, change at quarterback for no reason. Golly. And then... You know, so the Colts sit Matt Ryan. And then the Colts lose to the Commanders to fall to 3-4-1. and one. So then Jim Irsay is like, oh, I guess Marcus Brady's the problem if it isn't Matt Ryan. You know, once again, Marcus Brady, a guy who's going to be considered for coaching for head coaching jobs across the league this offseason. Then, following the firing of Marcus Brady, the Colts go play the Patriots with a new quarterback and a new guy calling plays and a new guy in charge of just the offense in general. And they get stomped 26-3 to and put up one of the worst offensive performances in NFL history against the best coach ever with a young quarterback. So he fires Frank Reich. And as an outsider, it just it looks like an unstable place to work. If I was a coach this offseason, there's no way I would want to coach there. Because it's fairly obvious that Jim Irsay is driven by his emotions and he doesn't make his decisions in terms of hiring and firing coaches and benching quarterbacks and trading quarterbacks based off of logic. He doesn't do it, and that's a very dangerous place to work if you're working for a boss who makes all of his decisions based off of his emotions. But that being said, the decision itself to fire Frank Reich is understandable. They didn't live up to, to expectations. Matt Ryan didn't work out, and there are really only two or three coaches in the league who I believe could consistently win with Sam Manlinger as their quarterback. So Reich was just dealt a really tough hand of cards this year. Um, but here's the thing, though. Reich, he's going to get another head, head head coaching job because I believe that he's a good coach. He's just never had a, a consistent presence at quarterback, and it's hard to consistently win games when the most important position on the field is always a question mark. And that ultimately is the biggest problem with this Colts team. The roster isn't great, and there is no quarterback of the future. And like it's it's really hard to win games when when that's your reality because that is the reality. Like I have no clue who's going to play quarterback for the Colts next year. I'm assuming it's one of these guys that are still in college. At least that's what I hope. But we'll see. You know, maybe Chris Ballard wants to take that first round pick and go draft a left tackle. We'll see what he wants to do. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I just. The move is so shocking because eight days ago, you know, Frank or Jim Irsay saying he was still good with Frank Reich. It's just, it just, it, it moved way too quickly. Um, it moved way too quickly. And, you know, he said last night that he's, you know, got every intent of Chris Ballard being, you know, the GM of GM for next year. But if you're Chris Ballard, you can't believe a word of that because of what he just did to Frank Reich. Finally, before we wrap it up here and, and we take a short break, I want to quickly make a pitch as to who I would hire if I was Chris Ballard. I think that the choice is fairly obvious. Um, I would hire Eric Bieniemy. Okay, this guy, like this is a guy who should have been a head coach four years ago. Okay, he's done great in Kansas City. He's had plenty of time to sit and nurture underneath Andy Reid, who's one of the best offensive minds ever. Um, on top of that, like Eric Bieniemy is an offensive minded. Head, he would be an offensive minded head coach, and I think it's important to have an offensive minded head coach when you're bringing in a new young quarterback 
And make no mistake, like that's exactly what the Colts are going to do. I know I made the joke about Chris Ballard drafting left tackle in the first round. They're going to take a quarterback. There's enough quarterbacks available in this year's draft who can play at a high level that the Colts will indeed take a new quarterback in the draft this year. And I just I believe that Eric Bieniemy is the perfect coach to bring in alongside a rookie quarterback. Okay, he's he's the kind of guy who's going to consistently put that quarterback in a position to succeed, whether that's C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young or Will Levis or whoever it ends up being. The enemy is going to consistently put them in a position where they can succeed. He's the obvious choice, and if they don't hire him, they at least need to hire an, an offensive-minded head coach. If they bring in you know, Dan Quinn, which I highly doubt they would do that, the current defensive coordinator of the Cowboys, or any defensive-minded head coach, it will be a huge mistake because when you bring in new young quarterbacks, you need guys who understand offense on a deeper level. And that is exactly what Eric Bieniemy does. If they don't hire Eric Bieniemy, I would call Sean Payton, even though I highly doubt Sean Payton is, Sean Payton is going to come out of retirement to coach the dumpster fire that is currently the Indianapolis Colts. But we'll see. Once again, Eric Bieniemy should be the new head coach of the Indianapolis Colts at the start of next season, and they should draft a quarterback in the first round. Not blazing hot takes today, but it's the truth, and this is what needs to happen. We're going to take a short break, and then we'll be right back with my Super Bowl bubble right here on Shooting the Schmidt. We're back with more Shooting the Schmidt. Super Bowl bubble. Very excited to do this. Um, This is the smallest I think the bubble has ever been. You know, there's really only a few truly elite teams. So I've got three teams securely in the bubble. It's the three that you would expect, followed by three teams just outside the bubble. And then I've got some explaining for some teams that I don't have in in the bubble or just outside the bubble. Here we go. So the three teams in the bubble, you can probably guess them. Chiefs, Eagles, Bills. Those are hands down the three best teams in the NFL. You know, obviously Chiefs. Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, you know, I know they struggled a little bit on Sunday Night Football, but they still came out with the win. That's what good teams do. They win even when they don't play great. Okay, so the Chiefs look good. They also added a ton of talent, you know, at the trade deadline in Kadarius Toney. Uh, Juju Smith-Schuster is really starting to come along. Like, this team is really starting to come together offensively. Um, Next, the Eagles, obviously undefeated. Jalen Hurts could, you know, probably going to come in second place for MVP voting this year. I mean, he's, he's played really well. You know, the addition of A.J. Brown for their offense has been huge. Darius Slay continues to be a lockdown corner on their defense. They have arguably the best offensive and defensive line unit combined in the NFL. They do a great job of controlling the line of scrimmage on both sides of the football. So the Eagles, you know, like, look, like, they're, you know, they're 8-0 for a reason. Like, that's a really good football team. Uh, Looking at the Bills, look, they have Josh Allen, probably going to win the MVP this year. Vaughn Miller coming off the edge. They're absolutely loaded. They're they're the most talented team in the NFL. I don't think you can really argue against that. So these those are the three teams securely in the bubble, as everyone should have should have their bubble set up. Like those th- three teams have to be in there. And then I've got three teams just outside the bubble. I've got the 49ers, who are probably the second most talented roster in the NFL, behind the Buffalo Bills. Jimmy G, this is a guy who's taken them to the Super Bowl before. They've added Christian McCaffrey. Brandon Ayuk has, you know, really come on these past couple years. Obviously, they still have Debo Samuel. The defense is absolutely loaded. Nick Bosa coming off the edge. Like, this 49ers roster is really good. The question is, will they be healthy enough to make a run? That's really the only question. I have no doubt outside of that that Kyle Shanahan is a good enough coach to win a Super Bowl. And like I said before, Jimmy G has gotten them there. Wasn't quite able to take them over the top, but that's a really good 49ers roster. Also have the Vikings. 
And I understand that the concern is Kirk Cousins has only won one playoff game in his entire career, and it's a very fair concern. But, you know, Kirk Cousins has never had an offense like this around him. And Jay Jetta is one of the best receivers in the NFL. Adam Thielen is their number two. He's awesome. Uh, They added uh, TJ Hawkinson from from the Lions. That's another tight end who can really play. The offensive line is good. Dalvin Cook is one of the best backs in the league. That offense is loaded. And then Zadarius Smith was a huge offseason signing for the Vikings. You know, the guy who should probably win comeback player of the year. He went from, I may never play football again, to having an absolutely insane year coming off the edge for them. He's played extremely well at that linebacker spot. You know, this Vikings team is really good. The offense is undeniably impressive. Once again, obviously the question there is, Kirk Cousins, do you trust him or not? I don't know if I do or not yet. We'll we'll see what ends up happening. And then the final team I have, you're going to call me a homer. But I do have the Miami Dolphins here in this spot. And I understand that there is a lot of questions about Miami, a lot of questions about Tua still, you know, especially with how rocky you know his first couple years were. But, man, he's looked really good this year when he's played. I mean, the Dolphins are undefeated whenever he plays. You know, he really understands Mike McDaniel's system. Obviously, having guys like Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle on the outside really help elevate your quarterback, and I think that's what a large part of this is, right? When you're betting on this Miami Dolphins offense, you're not necessarily betting on Tua. You're betting on Mike McDaniel, Tyree Kill, and Jalen Waddle, and those are three guys I will bet on any day of the week. So those are the three teams just outside. And then there's probably some questions like, why isn't this team in? Why isn't this team in? So I I began to think about those teams. Like, who are the teams that people are going to question, and why don't I have them here? I think the first one, and probably the biggest one, is the Ravens. And my biggest concern with the Ravens is just how bad that secondary is. They've really struggled to keep leads throughout the year. Um, They've done a great job of obtaining leads. I still believe that they're the only team in the NFL to have a double-digit lead in every single game that they've played. But they've done that, and they've also lost three games, four games, right? So they blow leads because their secondary just isn't very good. And it's, at the end of the day, like, it is a passing league. And if your secondary isn't very good, I have a very hard time believing that you're good enough to win the Super Bowl. So that's why I have the Ravens not in or just outside of my Super Bowl bubble. On top of that, the Titans, they're currently the two seed in the AFC. They looked really good on Sunday night football against the Chiefs. That's a really good defense. But I don't think Ryan Tannehill is a good enough quarterback for them to win the Super Bowl. And I don't think they have the weapons on the outside to elevate Ryan Tannehill to that point, kind of like Miami does, right? Like, you may not believe in Tua, but you definitely believe in Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddell. You may, you probably don't believe in Ryan Tannehill, and I don't think Traylon Burks has been around long enough for us to believe in him and his ability to elevate. If they still had A.J. Brown, maybe, you know, we could slide him into that spot. But at the end of the day, Titans just aren't aren't good enough at quarterback to win the Super Bowl. I believe it's the same thing with the Cowboys. I don't think Dak Prescott's a good enough quarterback for the Cowboys to win the Super Bowl. I also don't think Mike McCarthy's a good enough head coach to win the Super Bowl either. So they have some real lacking points there in terms of who they have as their head coach and who they have playing quarterback. With that being said, that's a really good football team. That's probably the best defense in the NFL. But defense no longer wins championships. Elite elite quarterbacks and elite, elite wide receivers and elite offensive head coaches win Super Bowls nowadays. And the Cowboys have... You know, one of those three things. I really like C.D. Lamb, but all in all, Dak Prescott and Mike McCarthy just aren't good enough for the Cowboys to, to win a Super Bowl with their current roster. And then I put the Giants on here, even though I don't think people really think that the Giants are a Super Bowl contender. I don't think that they are. Obviously, I have them outside my bubble. Um, 
but yeah, like they, they, this is really just an excuse for me to talk about Dable and the great job he's done up there with Daniel Jones and with that offense. Obviously, it helps that Saquon Barkley has finally stayed healthy. Um, knock on wood there real quick. <laughs> and um, So yeah, once again, Chiefs, Eagles, Bills, firmly within the bubble. Dolphins, Niners, Vikings, all just outside of it. I want to see a little bit more from the Dolphins' defense before I put them in that bubble. I want to see the 49ers get healthy before I put them in that bubble. And I just want to see a little bit more from Kirk Cousins before I put them in that bubble. So we're going to take a short break. When we come back, I've got a two take that I really want to run by people. So we're going to do that. So, yeah, we're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back with more Shooting the Schmidt. And we're back with more Shooting the Schmidt. We're going to scrap the Tua talk for today. I already talked about the Dolphins a little bit in the last segment. You know, we can do the Tua as a top 10 quarterback segment on another day. I want to talk about college football because college football is awesome and it's really heating up. And before I give you my my top 12, because, you know, the college football playoff rankings are coming out tonight, I want to do a quick thing here on Alabama. And over the next few days, over the next over these next few weeks, especially if Alabama loses again, you will begin to hear people say, that the decline of Alabama is here. Alabama isn't that good anymore. Nick Saban needs to hang it up. These takes are going to slowly start coming out of the woodwork. And when you hear those takes, what I want you to do is block that person. Don't listen to their podcast ever again. Completely ignore them because people who say that are absolute idiots, okay? Alabama's lost two games this year. They've lost two games, okay? And this is considered a bad year. That's how good Alabama is. They've lost two games, and people are saying that they're falling off. But let's let's look at these two losses, okay? Their two losses this year have been by one point on the road in tough environments against top 10 teams in the country. Neyland in Knoxville, one of the toughest places to play. They lose on a last-second field goal. Baton Rouge, Death Valley, late at night. One of the toughest places to play in college football. Th- those are their two losses, and we're over here... People are getting ready to say, I heard it on, on a podcast the other day. This guy was like, I think Alabama's done. Like, they're falling off. And it's like, I don't know. They're not. Okay, they lost two games against two really good teams on the road in really tough environments. Like, let's not sit here and act like, you know, they got beat by UTEP at home. Okay, let's not sit here and act like Alabama's going to lose five games this year. They're going to go 7-5 and five and finish fourth in the SEC West. Like, that's not happening. Okay, they're going to go probably 10-2 and because they're, they're going to beat Auburn. I believe that they still have to play Ole Miss. I think Ole Miss is still a little bit overrated. Um, so what? They're they're going to lose two games, you know, pl- play and win a, a bowl game. Like, who cares? And then next year, you know, they're going to reload because they're going to continue to recruit well as they continue to do, and they're going to be just fine because Nick Saban is the best coach in college football history. And no matter what we do or what we say. That's just, like, the truth, and that's going to continue to be true, and Alabama is going to continue to be great until Nick Saban leaves. Yeah, this Alabama team, they're only losing they're, – they're, they're not going to lose again this year. They're going to lose two games this year, okay? And I can't tell you the last time I remember Alabama losing more more than two games, okay? They're, they're 12-point favorites on Saturday over Ole Miss, and then they play Austin P, and then they play Auburn in the Iron Bowl. Auburn's terrible. I don't really think I have to go into that too much. They're they're going to win these last you know th- three games of the year. They're going to finish ten and two, and they're going to be fine. They're going to be ranked in the top ten to finish the year, and then they'll play whoever they play in in their bowl game, right? And then and then that'll be it. And we'll be like, oh wow, this Alabama team still really really good, not as good as they were in years past. I think part of that is youth. They're really young at wide receiver. The offensive line also hasn't been super great this year, uh, but those are two things that Alabama is known for. 
So those two things are going to improve. I would be very surprised if Alabama's receivers weren't better next year, and I'd be even more surprised if Alabama's offensive line wasn't better next year. This is still a really good team. Somebody tells you that Alabama's fallen off, slap them in the face, and never talk to them again. Top 12 teams. Who are the 12 best teams in college football? Jonathan, why are you doing the top 12 when only four teams go to the playoff? Because at some point, we're going to move to 12 teams. Hopefully that's next year. Maybe it's 2024. We'll see. Anyway, let's talk about it. I don't think it can be disputed. Best team in the country is the Georgia Bulldogs. After seeing what they did to Tennessee, that defense is real. I mean, look, they're holding teams to like 10.5 points a game. That's absurd in this era of college football. The defense is crazy. Stetson Bennett has played really well. I have Georgia at number one. I really went back and forth on who I have here at number two. It was either Michigan or Ohio State. It has to be one of those two teams. I put Michigan here simply because I think Michigan's going to beat Ohio State here in a few weeks. Um, I think they're more complete offensively. They, they can consistently run the football. I think that their defense does a better job of stopping the run than Ohio State's. The secondary's been good. Um, really good quarterback play, obviously from both teams. C.J. Stroud, you can make an argument, is the best quarterback in the country. You can make an argument. He's going to be the number one overall pick. But, man, the kid at Michigan, he can really play too. So, you know, look, they're they're 2-3. and three. Okay, at this point, we're just talking about who's going to wear their home jerseys and who isn't. So, Michigan at 2, Ohio State at 3. I have Tennessee at 4, which I know is really going to upset some people. And that's fine. It, it can upset people. Um, and then I have, I have TCU at 5. And people are going to be, you know, screaming at me, Jonathan, TCU is undefeated. You know, Tennessee just lost. You know, TCU undefeated in the Big 12. Well, the Big 12 isn't very good, okay? And when and when we look at Tennessee's one loss, it's to the best team in the country, okay? Meanwhile, TCU over here struggled with Texas Tech last week, who's 4-5. and five. Okay, like, can we, like, cut me a break on TCU? Okay, TCU, athlete-wise, is a class below all four of these teams that I have ranked above them, okay? They just plainly and simply are not as talented, and they play in a lesser conference. So excuse me if I don't have all the trust that you think I should have in TCU. Let's let's look at their wins this year, okay? They beat Colorado week one. Colorado wasn't very good. They beat Tarleton week two. Tarleton isn't very good. They beat SMU week three. SMU isn't very good. They beat Oklahoma week four, and everybody was like, oh, TCU, they just beat Oklahoma 55-24. to 24. Watch out, watch out. Oh, what an upset. Oklahoma isn't very good this year. That's not an upset. And then they beat Kansas by a touchdown, who's a good football team, not great. And then they beat Oklahoma State, Oklahoma State, who has now, I believe, lost three in a row. That sounds right. I know that they, they, they lost to Kansas. They got blown. Yeah, they've lost, excuse me, they've lost two in a row. After they lost to TCU, Oklahoma State beat, Oklahoma State beat Texas, and then they got shut out by Kansas State, and then they got beat 37-16 to 16 by Kansas. So, like, ultimately, the Oklahoma State win, not that great. Okay, let's let's continue with the rest of T- TCU's schedule here. Obviously, I believe that they played Texas Tech after that game. That sounds right. Nope, that's not right. <laughs> um, after after they beat Oklahoma State in overtime, forty three to forty, they beat Kansas State by ten, and then they beat West Virginia by ten, and then they you know they struggled with Texas Tech there for a bit on Saturday. Ultimately, ultimately won by ten. They're playing Texas on Saturday, in which they're seven point underdogs. To a Texas team, that's good. Not great. Okay, this Texas team is seven-point favorites over TCU. So why aren't we talking about Texas for the college football playoff? Because we all know that Texas isn't good enough to play in the college football playoff. Meanwhile, they're a touchdown favorite over TCU. 
And you really want to sit here and try and tell me that TCU is the fourth best team in the country? Okay, the only reason why I have TCU at five is simply out of respect for the fact that they have gone 9-0. and And it's really hard to win nine games in a row. And it's really hard to go undefeated. So I have some respect for that. But ultimately, this is not one of the four best teams in the country. Okay, if TCU played Georgia, they'd get beat by three touchdowns. If TCU played Michigan, they'd get beat by at least three touchdowns. And if they played Ohio State, they'd get beat by at least three touchdowns. And if they played Tennessee, they'd probably get beat by at least two touchdowns. Okay, this TCU team is not one of the four best teams in the country. Therefore, they should not be ranked in the top four. Anyway, I have Oregon at sixth. Oregon's looked really good ever since that loss to Georgia. Week one, new quarterback, new head coach against the best team in the country. That's just a recipe for disaster. So I have Oregon at six. Uh, I'd love it if they actually ended up sneaking in and we got to see them play Georgia again. I think it'd be a really different game. That being said, I do still think that, that Georgia would beat Oregon. At seven, I have USC. It's a really good offense. Defense isn't great, you know, but when USC gets up and they make you play from behind, they're a really tough team to beat. We've seen that. That's how they beat teams all year. I have LSU at eight. We saw them beat Alabama, obviously, on Saturday. They have that win over Ole Miss as well. I like having them there at eight. I think that's where they belong. Um, I don't think that they're better than USC or Oregon or Tennessee or Ohio State or Michigan or Georgia. So I feel like you have to put them at eight because we can talk about resume all day. But at the end of the day, we're ranking teams from best to worst. Therefore, we need to put the best team in front of the team that is worse. Okay? And this this is one of the things about – I'm going to go on a little tangent here. This is one of the things about rankings that really upset me, right? Because people want to talk about resume and how this team's done this and this other team's done that and yada, yada, yada. But ultimately, it's not about resume. It's about who's better. Okay? And we can look at resumes for reference to figure that out. But ultimately, we have to look at the guys on the field. We have to look at the coaches on the sideline. And when I look at the guys on the field and the coaches on the sideline, LSU is the eighth best team in the country. I've got Alabama at ninth. At ninth, um, you know the, the highest ranked two loss team in the country. I think everybody would agree that Alabama is the best two loss team in the country. I had them in front of Ole Miss because I think they're going to absolutely hand it to Ole Miss on Saturday. I have UCLA at eleven, and I have Clemson at twelve. Um, yeah, Clemson just. A huge, you know, obviously quarterback controversy there. Uh, They looked really bad on Saturday against Notre Dame. But I think people kind of saw the upset coming, or at least they knew it was a possibility. I mean, Clemson was only favored by three and a half in that game, and Notre Dame absolutely handed it to them. So Clemson at 12 to round it out. You know, I've got, you know, Utah and teams like that kind of just sitting on the outside of it. So, yeah, once again, in order, Georgia at one, Michigan at two, Ohio State at three, Tennessee at four, TCU at five, Oregon at 6, USC at 7, LSU at 8, Alabama at 9, Ole Miss at 10, UCLA at 11, and Clemson at 12. So that's going to do it here at Shooting the Schmidt. Thank you for taking the time to listen to the pod. Feels a little rough. I don't think this is my best work, so thank you for, for sticking with me through it. Uh, we'll be back again on Thursday reacting to the actual college football playoff rankings and getting ready for the upcoming weekend in terms of everything we got going on in the NFL and in college football. Cannot wait until Thursday. Once again, it's going to do it here at Shooting the Schmidt. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to give us a listen, and I'll talk to you again on Thursday.